Welcome to the Unpacked Podcast, a podcast devoted to unpacking faith, life, and leadership. The goal, to simplify big ideas for greater impact in everyday people like you and me. Well, hey everyone, and welcome to episode number two of our podcast. My name is Skylar Elmer, and I hope our conversation today will give you the encouragement that you need for a greater impact with your life. Man, I don't know about you, but this whole COVID-19 thing is just exhausting. And I'm ready for some kind of normal to come in my life. And the heart of starting these podcasts is to give you the encouragement and the insight that you need to navigate this season of life well. And if you have been tuning into our messages as a church, you know that we have taken some time to talk about the ominous topic of doubt. And today I get the opportunity to sit down and talk with Doug Aldridge, who is the academic dean at Ozark Christian College. He is brilliant, helpful, and hilarious. His perspective on doubt for me personally has been life altering. This is a fascinating conversation about doubt, so let's jump into my conversation with Doug Aldridge. Well, I'm honored to have as my guest Doug Aldridge. Doug, thanks so much for joining us today. No, it's a pleasure to be with you, Skylar. Thanks for thanks for inviting me. Well, Doug, you have... Um, You've had the blessing of having me in your class like three different times. Um, I don't know if you would call that a blessing, but... It was a blessing. <laughs> That's right on cue. Thanks for saying that. So mm-hmm. I'll pay you later. Um, but I just want uh, to say um, you have had an incredible influence in my faith, in my journey, the questions that I've had. Uh, coming to Ozark Christian College, um, you know, you taught a class on apologetics, and and so you've had um, you've had an incredible Im- impact on my own life, and so I'm very grateful for that. Your teaching, your thought process, and uh, everything that you've done. Um, but Doug, there is um, those who may be listening in to this interview that we're having the conversation. Um, they may not know um, who you are, and so if if you wouldn't mind, could you just introduce yourself to our audience? You know your background, what you do, and and how you ended up where you're at. You bet. Yeah, my name is Doug Aldridge, and I serve as academic dean at Ozark Christian College. This is my I'm finishing up my ninth year as academic dean, but I've always taught in the area of apologetics kind of defending the faith and hermeneutics, interpreting scripture. I also teach a couple of Bible classes. Um, and that's kind of my area. Before I was in ministry, I was a paramedic firefighter in Southern California and kind of worked out there for the California Department of Forestry. And then also um, went to paramedic school and worked in the emergency medical services. And so that was my pre um, full-time ministry vocation. But um, I, God used that, but I also really feel blessed and called to where I am here. And like you mentioned, I've taught apologetics now since 2003. That's kind of my my area, just wrestling with the faith. And I think I've always been attracted to apologetics as a discipline, just because I'm that analytical person. I'm that skeptical person. And so, yes, I have a faith and I believe in Christ and Christ is my savior and I believe in God, but I always have these nagging questions. Um, And as you know, the more you study, you can answer some questions, but then you just run across, you know, you discover 10 new ones. And so that's just kind of the, the whole journey of the Christian life really. So, so yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Well, and you mentioned Doug, 
um, you said you, you, you know, you know, doubt, skepticism, that has kind of always been a part of your um, journey. I, I guess my question right. is like, how, how's that played a part of your own faith story? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I'm naturally skeptical about things, but it's actually, I still have walked in obedience. So it's like in John chapter seven, verse, verse 17, um, to some skeptical people, Jesus says, obey my words, and then you will know if my teaching comes from the father. And so we can answer some questions. There are questions the church have been wrestling with questions that we come up with, you know, um, that, that just kind of cause us to doubt sometimes for centuries. But um, and we can discover those answers, but also there's that obedience of faith that we just continue to walk in the midst of our doubts. And then we just can discover and encounter that God is real and God is faithful. So to me, I often say doubt can be a normal part of the Christian journey. And sometimes we go through seasons of more doubt and sometimes seasons of really not much doubt at all. And it's just part of the growth process. I, I like where it's been said that actually doubt can help you in your in your um, quest for truth, we need to doubt things that don't seem to be true. And then as we search for truth, um, yeah, that just helps us find that. And I, I like too that, you know, Christianity is historically true. I mean, it's true whether you believe it or not. And so we have nothing to fear from people's doubt or people asking us questions. Like I said, sometimes there's easy answers and other times there's not. And I don't know if you remember from class, Skylar, but I often talk about four categories of doubt that we have emotional doubt. And I think that's the most common type of doubt that we just got go through a hard time. Maybe, maybe during this COVID-19 crisis, this pandemic right now, people have been laid off or they know someone that's been sick or they lost a loved one. And, um, you know, we weren't doubting until then, but now it's a time of anxiety and just we're wondering where God is and why does God allow this to happen? And, and so it causes us to doubt, and that's more of emotional doubt. And we weren't doubting before, but now we're kind of doubting. And I, I like the example in Scripture, you know, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, really. Uh, the, the guy that baptized Jesus, the guy that actually saw the dove descend from heaven and heard God say, the voice from heaven, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. He, when the guy that baptized Jesus, you know, later when he's thrown in prison, he begins to doubt. In fact, he says in the Gospels, go, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus if he's really the one or should we expect someone else? So John, who saw God work in a, such a powerful way, who proclaimed, you know, make straight paths for the Lord. It's like he doubted when his situation changed, when he found himself in prison. And of course, when his disciples go to Jesus, Jesus says, go back to John and tell them what you see and hear, right? The lame walk and the blind see, you know, really kind of signs, messianic signs. Tell John, yes, I'm the one. And so I think it's a normal part of the Christian journey. I think we should be able to kind of share those and pray through those doubts. David, like when we read the Psalms, David, a man after God's own heart, expresses doubt in some of the Psalms. He's surrounded by his enemies. You know, God seems to abandon him. And yet he'll express doubt for maybe a, a few verses or a chapter or two. And then at the end, though, he still praises God. He says, but I will still praise you, O Lord. 
And even pastorally, when people are wrestling with seasons of doubt, sometimes I just say, man, just read the Psalms, pray through the Psalms and make that your prayer and continue to be faithful, you know, and that's just kind of that obedience in the midst of doubt. So that's kind of an emotional doubt that we can wrestle with. Um, there's another category, doubts of ignorance. And, and oftentimes it's just, we're doubting because we don't have all the facts or we haven't studied the history or we, you know, and so a lot of the questions I get, at least in church are just, you know, we have a question and we don't, maybe we just don't have all the facts or we don't realize that, um, you know, the church has answered this 500 years ago and, and we just need to read more now. And some questions are easy to answer and others aren't. And so it's just more of the study. So we can study ourselves through some of it. Um, you know, we can look at historical evidences, extra biblical accounts. So accounts outside the Bible that speak of Jesus and at least that Christians are proclaiming his resurrection and that type of stuff. Um, we can even look at some atheist scholars that would at least assign, you know, seven of the Pauline epistles, like they accept Pauline authorship. No, Paul wrote this. We just don't think it was inspired or came from God. These are atheists, but at least they say Paul wrote this. Um, there's some other stuff out there that we can kind of study ourselves through. So that's doubt of ignorance. And then, so we have doubts of emotion and doubts of ignorance and then kind of doubts of just wrong assumption. So that's where we start with this worldview where if somebody would say, I just, I don't believe in the supernatural as far as a metaphysical realm, I just believe in the natural world, then they're going to reject out of hand anything supernatural. The crazy thing is, is the, lar the vast majority of the over 7 billion people on this planet believe in some type of supernatural realm. So some people that just, uh, you know, just limit metaphysics to the kind of what we know empirically, you know, logical positivism, kind of empirical data, okay, that's their position on epistemology and how they know things, but they're eliminating um, from the beginning kind of the whole aspect of the supernatural and, and just, man, so many people um, testify and encounter that, the, the, the supernatural realm. So that would be doubt of assumption. And then I often say the last category is doubt of volition, just of the will. Sometimes uh, we don't want it to be true or we're mad at God or we're mad at someone. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're doubting because it makes, it's convenient for us. We can excuse some sin that we don't re want to repent of right now because at least in my history, that's how I used it. You know, when I, when I, some of the doubts I had in high school, I finally became a Christian at 18. But, but even after that, it was just like, it was convenient for me to doubt it. So I wouldn't have to repent of some sin. So we have doubts of, Emotion, I think those that's the biggest category. And then doubts of ignorance, doubts of assumption, and then doubts of volition. We just need to admit. Um, sometimes, yeah, we use it as an excuse. But it's really the normal part of the Christian journey, really, to, uh, to doubt. And I think we go through seasons. Like, I think we go through, like, desert experiences, and then we get to an oasis. And man, things would just seem to be going well for us. And then after, on the other side of that oasis, there might be another desert season. And then we're just going to be a little skeptical again. And then we'll get to another oasis. And that's how we just keep growing. 
you know, what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. Sometimes we have to go through some of those. But we continue to walk in obedience when we go through that. So those are at least, if that's how we kind of, at least now, can you come up with more categories? I'm sure. Yeah, no problem. But again, I think it's helpful for people to realize the questions. First of all, you're not going to have all your questions answered. And when you answer your, the questions you have now, you'll just have a bunch more. But it's just the normal part of the Christian journey. And some personalities are more skeptical. So my wife doesn't struggle with that hardly at all. She's been a Christian, a faithful Christian since like elementary school. She believes and encounters God in a powerful way. Um, and I've always been a little bit more, a little bit more skeptical. So. Yeah, I can, I can definitely, um, uh, understand that and see where you come from. You know, I, I come from like the Portland area, Gresham. Yeah. Um, you know, th- that's just kind of, it's in our blood, you know? Um, yeah. and man, I, in, when, in studying the Bible, you know, as we're kind of doing this series, the thing that I would, has been so shocking to me, uh, was Matthew 28, where you have Jesus, you know, he rises from the dead and then he's getting ready to commission his disciples. And it says that, um, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then mm-hmm. he, he goes ahead and commissions them to do ministry anyway, you know, and I yeah. just, I was so shocked by that. And even looking at John the Baptist, how the, you know, the gospel writers have uh, incorporated um, doubt into the normal expression of faith and following yeah. Jesus, you know, just kind of like what you're saying. I know. Um, I used to think, oh, go, I, I used to oh, think no, like, uh, especially early in my Christian journey, man, if Jesus would just appear. Like manifest physically again, okay, good. It could eliminate those doubts. But you know, then when I he did that, and Paul writes, you know, he appeared to five hundred witnesses when Paul wrote Corinthians, most of whom are still alive. Paul wrote he appeared to the women and to the disciples, and and yet some people he again he would just have to keep doing that over and over and over and over and over again physically, um, and then he would still always have some people would doubt and some wouldn't. That's just that's part of it. Might eight-year-old granddaughter Oakley she has an analytical skeptical mind and she wants she does believe but she always will just have questions for me and uh, a couple years ago my oldest son was doing a devotion kind of you know through with the family they have four kids actually um Oakley's the oldest and he was talking about Jesus living in your heart And so after he was done with the devotion, my eight-year-old granddaughter, she was like, Dad, about Jesus living in your heart, I've never seen him. And sometimes my conscience tells me that he's somebody that church people made up, so you have to be nice to the cops. And he was like, go talk to your grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) But think about eight years old. She was she's seeking like you know a foundation for virtue, and she wanted empirical evidence for Christ. And so we did talk about it, and we actually even looked at historical evidence for Jesus and his resurrection and those claims. And um, but but it's like she's wrestling with that, you know. I think so. That that's kind of some personalities just just want that. They need more empirical evidence, and there is there is some. But again, there's still going to be a bunch of questions. And I think most of us existentially, we experience God kind of like John 7, 17, that just we can have questions answered. But when we believe and walk in obedience, we encounter God more. And it's not blind faith. You know, if you remember from class, 
Lynn Gardner, who taught apologetics at Ozark for 40 years, always defined faith as trust based on sufficient evidence. And so it is, it's trusting, but there's evidence. Now, the subjective part of the evidence is sufficient. So what's sufficient for you might not be sufficient for me, but it's trust based on sufficient evidence. So it's wrong to say it's blind. There's evidence for faith. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I've always, it's been years ago, but it was the, um, <clears throat> the Indiana Jones movie, the third one. I think it's The Last Crusade or um, what's the third Indiana Jones movie? Do you remember, Skyler? No, he's for, but there's a scene in there where um, Indiana Jones comes upon this cavern and it's like he, he's being chased by these guys pursuing him. And it's like, there's this, yeah, he can't jump across. It's this huge gulf that he, you know, um, that he comes upon in this cave, but he has his dad's um, journal because his dad was there before as an archeologist. And in the journal, it shows that if you take a step out, you, there's a bridge there. You just can't see it. You have to take this step, and when your foot lands on it, you'll know it's there, and then you can walk across. And so he looks at his dad's journal, and he just kind of takes, it looks like he's taking this blind step of faith, and he steps into the abyss, but there's actually a bridge there that he can run across, and then in the movie, he throws, like, dirt back over it, and it kind of shows you where the bridge was. But to me, that's not even blind faith, because he had a source that he trusted, his dad, he had his dad's journal, and the journal said, if you take a step right here, there should be a bridge, even though you can't see it, the footbridge. And he did it. And that's kind of faith. It's trust based on sufficient evidence. He had evidence, his dad's journal, it should be there. And then he took that step of faith, and it was. So it's, that's, to me, that's a great illustration of, um, of faith. And the more that we walk and the more that we follow, the more it just gets confirmed. But then we'll have new questions and you know, I think one of the largest questions that people struggle with is kind of the whole, um, you know, why would a good, all-powerful God allow evil and suffering? You know, why does God allow things like COVID-19? Why does God allow all kinds of disasters and stuff like that? And, you know, it's what we called in class the Odyssey, the theological vindication of the justice of God in light of the problem of evil. If God is all good, which we claim he is. And if he is all powerful, which we claim he is, and evil exists, which we claim it does, then it seems to be a problem for some people, right? Why would God allow that? And of course, the short answer that's not that pastoral is free will in a world of natural law, that God created us in his image, that God is a moral being. And when he creates in his image, he creates moral people. But to be moral, you have to have a choice. And if you could only choose one way, good every time, then you don't really have a choice. It's kind of just robotic that way. So there had to be a choice between good or evil. Um, but not only did God create in his image and give us free will, he also knew before the foundation of the world, it says in Ephesians chapter one, that, that uh, he had this plan that Jesus would come, that he would send his son to redeem the world So because he loves us. So he knew that he created knowing that people would rebel, but he also loved us, so he created a plan through Jesus Christ where he could redeem the world to himself. But we do have free will, and we don't always choose the good. And then that, that yeah, free will in a world of natural law, our choices have consequences. 
And sometimes they affect us, but a lot of times they affect other people. And so, so why, and then the question comes up and why doesn't God do something about the problem of evil? And he really did. The answer is the cross. The answer is Jesus that right. Scripture says we are now in this present time, we are suffering from light and momentary troubles, but they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all that ultimately for our eternity, we will live in a heaven and earth where there's no more crying, death, mourning, or pain. But right now, right, James can counter all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds, because they, they grow us in our faith. Um, and, and, you know, God, by sending Christ to the cross, I like how um, Phil Yancey in his book, uh, Whereas God Went Hurts, and is, talks about, like, Christ redeemed pain. You know, it's not just be, if you're going through suffering right now, if you have health problems or relationship problems, it's not always because you have some sin you haven't repented of. It's because we live in a fallen world, because a perfect Savior, a sinless Savior suffered. So because he suffered, he was sinless, we can suffer. Sometimes it's because of our own choices and sin, but other times it's just because we live in a fallen world that has viruses and pandemics and tornadoes and hurricanes and just it's all of creation is waiting to be redeemed but through the cross of christ we can find our peace and we can find our redemption and i always tell the story of when my boys were little i think my youngest son was six and his older brother doug was nine and they were in our backyard just playing and, and they were playing basketball or so my youngest my youngest son had a bat and an older brother had not a baseball, but a basketball. And uh, my younger son's kind of a hyper one. And, and he was like taunting his older brother to throw the ball at him. Like, come on, Doug, throw the ball, throw the ball. Come on, I bet you can't. And my older son just hucked the basketball at his younger brother. And his younger brother went around to swing it and hit the bat, hit the basketball. And then the bat just flew back and hit him right in the head, right in the forehead and i'm inside the house and i just hear, hear this blood curdling scream and garrett my youngest son he's six years old he comes running around to the front of the house and it's a head wound and you know how they bleed like crazy and the blood was just pouring <laughs> down his face and his eyes and all of a sudden he's like dad am i gonna am i gonna die am i gonna die and i'm like i don't know let me look because and it's like i look <laughs> and, and you could see his skull and i and i'm like no son you're not gonna die and I got this rag and we just put, you know, direct pressure and uh, on his head and kind of the bleeding stopped. And I drove him to the emergency room and we're sitting in the emergency room and, um, and he's six years old. And all of a sudden he looks at me and he's like, dad, why did God allow this to happen to me? Why did God allow this to happen to me? And I was like, I should know the answer to this. I mean, I went to Ozark Christian college. I've been to seminary. Like I teach in this area. I should know. And, um, and I'm thinking in my mind, like, well, free will and a world of natural law. No, a six-year-old is not going to understand that. But, but I had this brilliant moment. I think it was totally a God thing where um, I looked at him and I said, Garrett, I don't know why God allowed this to happen to you. But I do know that he knows what it's like to have a son whom he loves very much, who is hurting and crying and bleeding. And it's funny because when I said that, my son just... He stopped crying and he just, it made sense to him. And that's ultimately the message of the cross that, yeah, I don't, we can't always explain why God is allowing something to happen, 
But we do know that he knows what it's like to have children that he loves very much who are hurting and suffering and bleeding and sick because Jesus experienced all that. And so that really is the message of the cross. You know, it's that redemptive nature, but just the compassion. Um, yeah, we just got to cling to that. I mean, I know it's kind of the Sunday school of Jesus answer, but that is the answer. Ultimately, even though we can ask and answer a bunch of questions that people have. But anyway. Doug, that's, um, that's really good. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you bet. Um, going to your Indiana Jones story, the illustration you just kind of mentioned, yeah. uh, I, I never heard of that. Um, and I, you know, anytime you want to be disappointed in me, uh, ask me movie references, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but I'm just, okay. So thinking about that, you had mentioned, you know, when Indiana Jones went to go cross the bridge, uh, right. he had the journal and, um, you know, just the, the trustworthiness of his father to, to trust as a bridge. So it wasn't blind right. faith. Right. In your experience with ministry and teaching apologetics, what have been one or two, I guess, reasons, explanations that you have seen uh, help help those who are doubting believe in God? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I would say that doubt's normal. So you kind of have to reassure them that, man, so many people through the centuries have doubted. So where you are, and, and I make the, diff, the, the definition, the difference between, you know, unbelief is a willful refusal to believe. Like, I just don't believe in God. So that's unbelief. Doubting, and especially when you look at the Greek words, there's like five Greek words in the New Testament, Testament translated doubt. They all have this sense of a, a double-mindedness. Like right now, there's state of suspension between belief and unbelief. And, and so you're just wrestling right now. It's not, because even when people doubt if you would say do you believe in god they would be like yeah i mean yes i just have a bunch of questions or you know it's it's that it's not a willful refusal to believe so that's one so it, it's it's normal it's a normal part of the journey and then like i've said before i think it's helpful for people to just um pray through the psalms here's what i even tell my eight-year-old granddaughter who wants answers to every question i often say this oakley her name's Oakley. I say, Oakley, this, the minute that you admit that you're not God, okay, you're not God, is the minute that you're going to realize you're not going to know everything. You're not going to have all the answers, right? Because if you had all the answers, if you knew everything that God did, then you would be equal to God, and you're just not. So the minute that we admit that we're not God, then we automatically admit we're always going to have some questions because we're not going to know all the answers. But you got, Skylar, that's the biggest temptation. I mean, in the garden, that was the temptation that Satan had to Adam and Eve, right? The first temptation was, um, you know, when, when it was like, it was, did God really say, right? When he, when he tempted Eve to eat the fruit that was in the garden and she said, no, God said we could eat of any tree in the garden except this, the tree of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The first the first temptation Satan came back with was, did God really say that? And, and that's still the question that he has today. People that are struggling with doubt, you know what Satan's saying in their mind? Did God really say that? There's just a bunch of hater Christians saying that. Did God really say that? No. And, and Satan's not attacking some obscure doctrine. No, he's attacking core, attacking core beliefs that Christians have always believed for 2,000 years 
and he's getting people to doubt, did God really say that? Even though it's clear, he did that in the garden. The second, the second temptation was to Eve because she said, no, he said, if we eat that, she knew what God said, we will surely die. And Satan said, you won't really die. Right. And that's still the temptation. He's still saying he's, he's wanting us to question, did God really say that? And the second thing he's wanting us to think, we're not going to die. The way the Bible says the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal. You know what? Sin isn't that big of a deal. You're not going to die. I've already been sinning. I'm not dead yet. My friend's doing that. He's not dead yet. Whatever. See, Satan wants us to doubt the consequences of sin, that it won't be that bad. So that's how we justify things. Did God really say that? You will not surely die. And then the last one, Satan said to Eve, he doesn't want you to eat of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because then you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that's the ultimate temptation, us to be like God. At least I don't need to be God of everybody. I just want to be God of my own life. Me, myself, and I, the secular trinity. You know, I just want to be this autonomous ruler of me. And, and that's so that's the doubt, too, is because we haven't just surrendered ourselves to God. And so those are the lies that Satan still uses today. Did God really say you will not really die and you can be like God knowing good and evil? Once we once we give up those, then I think it helps us with our doubt. You know? It really does. We just kind of admit we're not going to have all of our questions answered. We can't even handle what God has chosen to reveal to us. So in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, uh, scripture says, the things revealed belong to us and the secret things belong to God. So already the Bible says there's things about the metaphysical nature of the world, about just this world that God created that we don't know, that God hasn't revealed, either, either through scripture or nature. We're not going to know. But we can know the things he's chosen to reveal, but we don't even know that. That's studying the Bible. So, you know, once, and I think once we do that, it just helps us. But I don't want to shame people that doubt. I doubt. I mean, that's just the normal part of the journey, but we just have to continue to walk in obedience, you know, even when we don't feel like it. So the love that we're called to do, the faith that we're called to express isn't necessarily just based on our feelings, right? We're called to serve God and to love others and forgive, even when we don't feel like it. And that's not being fake, right? That's being true to the person God called us to be. So I always tell students that Ozark, you know, God has called me as a Christian husband to sacrificially love my wife. And when I do that, even when I don't feel like it, I'm not being fake. I'm being true to the man that God called me to be, right? But often in our culture, we always make it if we, you know, if we don't feel like it, then we think we're not being authentic. No, no, it's not authenticity to your feelings. It's authenticity to the principle God called you to live. Now, do feelings play a part? Sure. I mean, we can, when we're obedient and follow God, it's awesome when kind of our feelings and our obedience and our actions all come together. But that's not what drives it. What, what drives it is our identity determines our behavior, and that will affect how we feel. Identity first as a child of God. But in our culture, it's upside down, right? In our culture, it's, well, this is how I feel, so this is what I do, and I guess that's who I am. But in the Bible, it's the exact opposite of that. It's identity, child of God, behavior, and then feelings. And that kind of helps, too. It's just getting even our thinking right, and it will affect how we feel. So, Man, that's so good. Uh, that's like, uh, I hadn't, 
um, framed doubt in that kind of way, you know, based on the knowledge of God, the temptation uh, right. going all the way back. Um, yeah. That's, that's incredible. I mean, even thinking about doubt um, from that, you know, I guess uh, reference point is, is, is helpful, helpful to me, um, man. And I mean, even the way the world kind of flips, flips things around, you know, just starting with, you know, self and yeah. uh, feelings and all that. And then, the, you know, the message of the gospel is you know, deny yourself. <laughs> you yeah, know, right. Exactly. You choose to follow what is true over what you feel is true. You know what I mean? And yeah. um, there has to be this out, you know, some kind of, um, I guess, objective place that we're operating from. Um, yeah. Doug, let's just say um, somebody, you know, who's, who's listening to this has a friend and they're really wrestling with God. Does he exist? Um, would you have any advice to, to give to, to kind of help help them help them, you know, to help their yeah. friend who's doubting. I mean, first, you know, again, just be authentic and you could even share some of your doubts with them. Just be an encouragement. You know, don't, again, it's, it's really through relationships that we can speak into life to people's lives. We don't want to make anybody their project, a project, our project. Um, but I think it depends too, if they're a reader or not. So, you know, um, for a long time, I used Tim Keller's book, Reasons for God, Reason for God. Um, it came out in 2008, but it's still such a relevant book. And I just always appreciated Tim Keller's ministry in Manhattan to a skeptical kind of professional, sophisticated crowd he preached to for 30 years. And I think his resources are good. Um, Greg Boyd in 1994 wrote a book called um, Letters from a Skeptic. And it's kind of exchange of letters with him and his dad, who was real skeptical. So I don't necessarily agree with everything that Greg Boyd, especially where he is now, doctrinally. But that book, I still recommend. And that's still a really good book. Um, uh, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering is a great book on just the problem of evil. It's another Tim Keller book. And I use that one. And man, it's just authentic. It's just right there. You don't, you don't deny what we're feeling and what we're suffering, but it just gives the hope it points people to Jesus. So those are some good resources. I think that would be helpful, you know, and again, if, if someone doesn't read, then we just have to be patient. We just have to be there. Um, you know, even in my own family, I mean, it took like 20 years of just praying and talking to my brother before I was finally able to baptize him. And this kind of, you know, in my, and from my time perspective, it was like 20 years, but, you know, Peter says in God's timetable, a thousand years is like a day and a day is into a thousand years. So for God, it might have been like, hey, yeah, five minutes, you're good. So anyway, I think it's just be there, be present, be patient. You know, so anyway. That's good. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, Timothy Keller, I, I don't know when, I, I it was probably for your class that you recommended um, you read it. but time and time again, that is yeah. a book that I yeah, have on my great. shelf and every year I just, I, I will reread it. I'll revisit it. And it's just, it is my go-to book uh, for myself, for others. And um, I, I, I'm constantly getting that book and then giving it away. Uh, yeah. I just, that's great. I love it that much. So, um, well, Doug, I, uh, I just want to say again, thank you so much uh, for the time, the wisdom. Uh, is there any, any last things that you would like to say about, you know, doubt, God's existence um, that maybe hasn't been addressed or, or raised? 
I don't know. I mean, just, you know, again, God doesn't need anybody to defend him. You know, it's just like, it, it really is. To me, apologetics is, it's more about explaining our faith to people than defending God. Um, in one sense, it's just, yeah, it's just explaining it and being there for people. So no, I would just say, continue just to walk in faithfulness, even in the midst of these hard times. And, and, and yeah, God is there for sure. So. So I got well, Doug. I appreciate that, and I and I absolutely love um, I, I love that perspective. That the more we walk with God, you know, the more we're able to recognize Him. But when we're on yeah. the outside looking in, um, and we're not actually practicing our faith, you know, there's a lot more doubt that can come. Yeah. There's you know, we don't we personally will lack more um, faith evidence, I guess, of that experiential yeah. evidence when we are not actually living out our faith, but when we are walking in obedience, uh, we get to see God involved in our life and we get to see, you know, scripture come to life in, in a whole new way that can kind of, uh, I guess, form these, these, um, these uh, milestones of faith for us, you know, of yeah. seeing God in, move and work. So anyways, um, Doug, thank you so much again, um, for, uh, coming and being willing to, uh, uh, have this conversation with us about, uh, doubt and faith and, uh, thanks so much, Doug. Well, that was a profound conversation. And even though I had class with Doug, I found myself writing down all kinds of notes from the things he was saying. It was so good. And I hope that today you found today's conversation both encouraging and helpful. Doubt, if you will let it, it can become the accelerator to your faith. Well, speaking of doubt, one of the topics that many people struggle with on doubt is in regards to the Bible. I mean, there's so many people who will say, the Bible is full of contradictions, or the Bible is so confusing, and on it goes. Well, next week, I get a chance to sit down with Richard Knopp and talk about doubt in the Bible. He's a professor of philosophy and apologetics over at Lincoln Christian University. He's also the director of a ministry called Room for Doubt, where they seek to help strengthen people's faith as well as provide answers to the questions that skeptics are asking. It is a great ministry that is having a tremendous impact in people's lives, and I am honored to have this conversation with Richard and I believe that you will as well. It is going to be a very thought-provoking and helpful conversation as we dive into doubt in the Bible. Well, I hope our conversation has helped you in your life so that you can make a greater impact in your life. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week as we talk about doubt in the Bible.